I mentioned earlier, we just started a new class. So if, if, if something here in these letters catches your eye or if you're sitting there going, well, I've heard the letters, but what about the rest of the book? On Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, we're going to start studying Revelation. We had just an introduction today, so you're not behind if you missed it and you want to join us for that. And we do that down in the fellowship hall. So a little, little plug there. We, uh, of course, are looking at, at these seven churches that are in Asia that John writes to on behalf of Jesus. Uh, really, John is just literally just a mail carrier in this particular case. Jesus writes the letters. And every church has something that they're dealing with. Some church, one church is persecuted. Another is, is, is complacent. Another has lost its first love at Ephesus. Others are becoming far too worldly and getting sucked into the paganism and the hedonism of the world that surrounds them. And uh, Sardis is just stuck in a rut. Do you ever feel that way? Like that's, that's your life? And some of us, some of you, going home, you might you might run into this if you're, especially if you're driving a Model T and skinny tires. But but life can feel like this, can it? You just, no matter what you do, feel like you're still just sitting there, you know. And you 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 put the gas down, and all you do is is burn rubber in the mud, and that's when you know you're really stuck. When you start to smell the tires in the mud, I speak from experience, but not recent, not recent. I learned those lessons the hard way. Uh, every time it rained when I was growing up, you couldn't go through the front gate at our ranch because if you did, you were stuck. It was, it was like this every single time. Now, what you also know is that every man in our family at some point, self-included, got stuck because, well, surely I can make it through, right? So this time, this time. But no, you just get stuck. And ruts are a simple thing. You, get, you go through so often or you go through sometimes too fast, sometimes too slowly, depending on the kind of mud you got. Once you're in them, you just might as well sometimes just give up. I mean, it's not going to happen. My, my grandfather one time had, to leave, he had a 69 Ford F100 and one time it spent like a week out in the pasture because it was stuck up to the axles and it wasn't going to get out until it dried enough, you get something else in there and do a little digging. Uh, that may be the way this guy's day ended. I have no, he may still be there. I don't know, somewhere up in Michigan maybe. Church is getting ruts. We, we, we keep going the same way. We, we get the tracks nice and deep, and the next thing you know, we're stuck. And Sardis was, was in a little bit of that. And, and for, for some reasons that were not just innocent on their case, they had some, some other problems going on. But uh, it's easy to get into, difficult to get out of, uh, and never, never pleasant when you're somebody that really wants to see things go and grow and do better when, you're, when your intention was not to just stay stuck in that field or on that road. Let's read uh, the letter that Jesus writes to this church. It's in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'll be using the English Standard Version. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. Now let me stop there. In most of the letters that we've read so far, when Jesus says, I know your works, or I know your deeds, or I know, I know, I know, what you have next is what they're doing right. Nuh-uh. So... He says, I know your works. And I mentioned back a few letters ago that that could either be good or that could be scary. And they ought to be nervous if you're living in Sardis. Uh, and this is not the strongest letter he'll write, but still, stuck in a rut. I know your works. You had the reputation of being alive, 
And you go, oh, good. You know, that, everybody thinks we're a, a, a going, living, vibrant, good church. And, and the reputation around, around town is good. And everybody knows, listen, you want to go to a family and a church that's just really got it going on, that's where you go. Until Jesus says those three little letters that either are your salvation or your need for new underwear. In this case, there you are. But you are dead. Dead. You ever wonder, I do, you ever wonder what it was like, because this happened. This is, this is an historical event, the passing around of the letter of Revelation. When the church at Sardis, they read through Ephesus and they go, man, those brothers and sisters at Ephesus, that's going to be, that's going to be tough, but boy, we'll pray for them and I hope they get better. And they write, read about Pergamum and then, man, those guys are getting hit hard. Persecution and, and all of this stuff. We really got to pray for those brothers. And then you finally get to Sardis and you sit down to read it, and, and you read, I know your works. you got a reputation for being alive. And you're sitting there going, hey, we're doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden he says, but you're dead. And you go, oh, this potluck's not going to go the way we thought, is it? And so you're kind of worried about things. What else is he going to say? You're dead. And this is Jesus, okay? So this isn't some guy who, who writes you up in a nasty newsletter. This is Jesus. When he says you're dead, you're dead. Wake up, he says, and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Now they really got to be looking around going, man, we're in trouble, aren't we? This wasn't a good letter. This is bad. He says, you, you're not living up to what you were supposed to be. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come. And look at these two words, against you. Jesus to a church. It doesn't matter. This is a good reminder. It doesn't matter to Jesus that you've got Church of Christ on the front of your building. That is not the blood on the doorpost at Passover. The sign will not save you. The reputation will will not save you. When Jesus says, even to His own church, listen, I do actually have standards and you're not there. We ought to listen up. And this is what He says to the church at Sardis. You won't even know when I'm coming. Now verse 4 finally starts to get a little bit of comfort for a few people. Verse 4, Yet you have, still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with Me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his, blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so let's go through our, our background for this town. You've got a an interesting history with Sardis. It's an old, old city, centuries old by the time this comes along. Okay, really millennia old by the time that this letter comes to this town. So we think about, you know, wow, Revelation, that was 2,000 years ago when these churches heard this. Well, the people in Sardis could point back to their history 2,000 years too. And some of the ruins, not, not this, this is a, a temple that's in ruins, but some of the ruins there included a big gymnasium. There's actually a pretty good sizable part, chunk of the building that's still there. We think gym, it wasn't like Anytime Fitness. I mean, this was, you know, the, where they had the bathhouse. There was actually a synagogue that met at the gym. And when you look at the history, this synagogue was a part of the gymnasium in Sardis for 450 to 500 years. 
You think about that for a second. These cities where these churches were had a history twice as long as our own country. And, and so when, when you are trying to change a culture in the name of Christ to come back to God, it's hard enough when you're fighting... Really, we're not fighting in our own country 200 years of culture because a good chunk of ours actually believed in God. Some, really and truly, we're fighting like 60 years worth of culture in the bigger part. And look how hard it is. They were fighting 2,000 years of constant not following the Lord. That's tough. That's an uphill battle. Sardis was an uphill kind of a town. It had a history because of its geography. I don't know if you can see it's kind of shadowy in this thing. But see that hill up there? If it were clearer, you'd actually see that over that left end, that little part sticking up, is actually what's left of the turret of a fortress, a citadel. It was a citadel city. They believed because of their place up in the hills, it was, it was hilled on three sides. So it was kind of naturally protected by 1,500-foot cliffs on three sides. So they really only protected that backside that, that was vulnerable. They could, they could protect that quite well, and so they always thought of themselves as, as being fine. Nobody's going to be able to come over and, and take over us. Well, until they met Cyrus. You remember Cyrus in the Old Testament? Not only did he take over Israel, he took over them too because they were able to scale the 1,500-foot cliffs and surprise them from the side they didn't expect. Same thing happens with Alexander the Great. Isn't that funny how history repeats, repeats itself? Just like, uh, it reminds me a lot of Edom, the Old Testament book of uh, Obadiah. The prophet Obadiah speaks against Edom. And their protection was that they lived among the cliffs, very similar, actually an even, even better uh, strategic position. And they believed that because of their place, that they were too high to be touched, no one could ever o- overtake us unless God says to you, I will bring you down to the earth. And that's what he said to them, word for word, through the prophet Obadiah. You who live among the heights, I will bring you down. He says, and you will never rise again. And they never have. Sardis was a town like that. And so there was, a, there was an arrogance that came with that. That arrogance made them complacent. Complacency is a rut. They thought that they could not be touched. They thought they could not be harmed. And what happened? Well, several times... Providence showed them otherwise. That same mindset, of course, from the culture is represented in the church. We're doing fine. We're alive. Everything's going along like, you know, our programs are humming and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so they think that they are alive. And Jesus says, but you're not. You're not. You are just like the world around you, stuck in the muck and the mire and the worldliness and the unholiness. And that's not okay. And I don't have to accept that. We can overcorrect on the times of the past where people did not ever talk about grace to the point that we overcorrect and think grace covers an unholy and unrepentant lifestyle. And I think that's part of the problem that's going on in Sardis. Should we sin more that grace may abound? Guys, that's a sticky wicket. We need to stay away from that. Every single time, Paul said absolutely not. Even more so, Jesus said no, and you won't know when I come to judge a mindset like that. Because he's not talking about the last judgment. 
When he talks to these churches and says, I'm coming soon, he's saying, I will actually come and yank your candlestick in real time. I will not wait for judgment for you to pretend to be a church that you're not. I'll get rid of that in the right here and the right now. Can you imagine getting that letter? But that's the letter that they got from Jesus. He says, I know your works. You look alive, but you're dead. Now, the positive in this is, wake up! The good thing about it is that when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about somebody who can walk into a tomb and speak life. So the fact you're dead, not necessarily the end of the story. Hey, he can do a Lazarus on these people. When he says to Lazarus, come forth, what's Lazarus do? Dead man, get up. He's still stinky. Okay, he's still stinky. We don't know. He might have been 13 or 14 years old. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, he's, he's a stinky man. They unwrap him and he's fine. Can Jesus do the same thing for the church stuck in a rut? Can he say to the church at Sardis, Sardis, come forth. He can. And that's what he's doing through this letter. And so while there is negative there and there are things they need to deal with, kind of the cool part is that Jesus reminds them that resurrection is a business he's in. That it is possible to breathe life into a dead church. Now you talk to a lot of church growth experts in the here and now and they say, no, it's not. Shut her down. That's true if the only tactic you've got is church growth methods. It's untrue if you believe in the living, breathing, risen Lord Jesus Christ who can speak life and bring life back where it has died out. So Sardis is a great example of that. He says, work those muscles. This is Curly's part of the sermon right here. (laughs) Atrophy kills. It does, doesn't it? We all know that the most deadly thing in your house is not an evil black rifle. The most deadly thing in your house is what? Your lazy boy, right? Don't be getting on my lazy boy. Those should have to have, you should have to have a license to carry a lazy boy. Because what do they do? It is the most comfortable rut you will find. They kind of remind me of a guy I knew that commuted into Long Island or from Long Island in New York City. He said, you know, that he, he, he hated the commute until he realized that he had in his car the most comfortable people, piece of furniture he owned. None of his chairs at home were as comfortable as the one in his car, and he had the best sound system that he owned was in his car, and then he became comfortable with his commute. Lord knows no man should ever be comfortable with an hour and 15-minute round-trip commute on Long Island. Okay, there's just some kind of evil involved in that sort of a thing. But this is what he did, and he became accustomed to it. Boy, the devil gets us that way, doesn't he? Atrophy kills. It feels like everything's going along fine to this church. They have a reputation even to the outside of being alive. Other churches thought they were doing great too. You said no, because they could be so much more. I had plans for you, and you aren't there. You're fine where you are. you got your little church, 50 people there, and you're happy with those 50 people, and you don't need any more people, and everybody thinks you're alive. And the Lord is saying, you know, actually, though, there were 2,000 other people in your town really wanted to see saved. Could you get off your duff and go out there and get them, please? Otherwise, I'm going to get rid of you and find somebody else who will do it. Jesus said this to a church. So, 
Not a message that, that any of us ever want to hear, but it's one that Jesus sometimes has to say. So he says, how do you fix that? Well, he says, go back to the gospel. He says, remember what you were taught? Remember what you heard? Remember what it was? What did they hear? That Jesus is alive. That Jesus came. He lived. He died for their sake. That He commissioned them to go out into the world and to save souls. That He commissioned them to a life that was holy and pleasing to God the Father and completely different from everything else around them. He says to the church, just like He said to Israel, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He says, you're not doing it. So what do you need to do? Go back and remember your story. Remember who you are. Remember where you came from. Remember why you have all these things happening that you think make you alive. And don't just go through the motions. Be a Jesus people from the inside out, from your morality and your beliefs and your faith and your hope out. Go be those people. Keep it. Turn back to it. He uses the word repent. You know, change your direction. And then he says, and I'm going to be coming. You're not going to know when. And I'm going to see whether or not you're living up to what I'm calling to you to today. Do we live and act as if Jesus is not just coming to judge one time, but that he actually does surprise inspections on this church and in our household on the fly? Because he's saying he does. He says, and you're not going to know he is the ultimate secret shopper. Yikes. You know, when I worked at Chick-fil-A, we never knew. We got secret shoppers all the time from corporate. When I, was, I worked at Chick-fil-A when I was in high school. And all the time they were there. It keeps you on your toes. Because you don't know when it might be that person. And you can't sit there and get complacent in your rut and think with bad habits and think that, well, I know all these people, so it wouldn't be one of them. No, because they hire people from town. You don't know who comes in. You know, there was actually for a while, I don't know if it's still operating or not, there was a website that did that for churches. I used to go check, kind of scared, see if, I was, it was when I was in New York, see if we were on there anywhere, you know. They got close a couple of times, a couple of towns away. I, mean, I don't know if I want to read that or not. They, w- they would send a mystery worshiper who would leave a card in the collection plate, I've been here, and a website where you could go and see Kind of like Yelp for churches, you know. What did they What did they think? What did they learn? What did they hear? What was you know? Then there would be this evaluate. What was encouraging? What was What was I wish you know I were actually in heaven and dead, not here. You know, all that kind of stuff. And they would leave all that. Jesus says, "I do that. I do that." And it can be fatal because I do yank candlesticks when you're no longer what I've called you to be and you refuse to follow me where I lead you. So this was his message to them. I'm coming and you're not even going to know when it's going to be. To those who haven't soiled their garments, that sounds horrible. I just, that's my one gross thing. You know, because you know you're all thinking it. We might as well get it out of the way. He's not talking about pooping your pants for the kids in the room. He, he's talking about, here's what he's saying. For those who haven't soiled their garments, he's talking about worldliness. For those who haven't given in to the idolatry, for those who haven't given in to the adultery, for those who haven't given in to all the things that the world says are right, but which Jesus says, I want you to get rid of. Hatred, bitterness, anger, wrath, brawling. All those lists that Paul makes in places like Ephesians. All those things of the flesh. He said, for those who haven't become just like the rest of the world around you, for you have got a promise. 
course, the flip side of that is what? Mm. Keep your clothes clean. Isn't that what your grandmother used to tell you? Go keep your nose clean. That's what he's saying. Same thing. You will walk with me, is what he's saying. Look at this. Let's look at the promise back in the text. Starting in verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. When he says walk with me in white, white means holiness, purity, a cleansing that by the grace of God, he's made you whole again, right again, pure again. But it's more than that, because he doesn't just say, I'm going to give you white clothes. He says, you're going to walk with me in those white clothes. You know, the ultimate goal of redemption is the restoration of life as it was in Eden before the fall. Ever since the fall, everything has been working back to that restoration of all things. He made the promise in the garden. There'll be a time. This is all going to come back together. He says, you will think that you have beat, have beat the one that I'm going to send because you'll strike his heel. He's going to crush your head, he says to Satan. There's going to be a restoration of all this. The book of Revelation points to the restoration of all things. And so all of that is what we're working toward. This is the promise. And if you will hold on, and if you will keep your nose clean, you will actually know the grace of God in eternity and a restored, walking right here with me relationship. That's the most unimaginable part of creation. I can imagine God speaking planets. I can imagine God speaking whales and porpoises, porpoise, however that goes, all in, in, into existence. I can kind of picture skunks. I hadn't explained that one yet. But the <laughs> especially these ones that keep chasing me. I have now been chased by a couple of skunks lately. The, uh, and they didn't even go to church here. The <laughs> ah, I'm kidding. The, but I can imagine that stuff. I can't imagine the part about, and they walked with God in the cool of the evening. I enjoyed my walk in the cool of the evening yesterday. And I know technically it was with God. We had a chat, but not like this. I can't imagine it. What in the world is that like? He says, you stay with me. You'll find out. It's a good promise, isn't it? Then he says, your name. Some of you, you, you your names are still there. Your name will be written in the book of life and it can't be removed. If you will remain faithful, if you will remain holy, if you will strengthen what remains, you know, find, find your strengths, build on those things. Just come on, you know. He says, I will never remove you from my fellowship and no one else will be able to either. Then he says, and I'm going to speak your name right there in the throne room of God. I will confess your name before the Father where the angels can hear, where the 24 elders who surround the throne can hear, so that all of heaven can hear, I will say to God, this one is mine. That's going to be a cool moment, isn't it? Some of, some of, some of the ladies like the, the grand entrances at balls and things like that and royal events, you know, where the couple comes in and they're all, they're all dressed up. The men, actually, like a skunk. And <laughs> the black and white. And... And they all stand there for a moment and someone, all dressed up, announces, you know, Lord and Lady Tootberry, whatever their name is. And, you know, all that pomp and circumstance. Well, how cool is that going to be? Imagine it for a moment where it's Jesus who does the announcing. 
and you get to walk into the throne room of God. You hold on. You stick with me, Jesus says. And you're going to see that. You're going to know what that's like. Is that not incredible? I don't know what your picture of eternity is or what you think it'll be like after the revelation, but I'm telling you, there are... Resurrection, I mean, after the resurrection. There are things that we, we don't even understand that are just going to blow our minds. And we're all just thinking about, you know, how nice it'll be to get rid of the, the thing I pulled right here, you know. All of that kind of stuff. You know, you know, some of you worry about, you know, will I have my hair back? I don't know. Maybe he just won't care anymore. You never know. We might get there and find out he makes us all bald because that was what he preferred. You just you don't know what's going to happen. Who cares? What he says is you're going to get to walk with me. You're going to hear me say to the Father, this one is mine. Announced before the throne room of God. Is that wild? While the, the seraphim and the cherubim surround the throne, it says flying around, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then Jesus says, Bob, you come in. Ooh, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? This is the promise. And what we need to realize is, this is not the stuff of Star Wars and Rainbow Bright. This is reality. The things that we see and that we touch that we think are so real are actually the temporary, the things that don't last. This is the true reality that never goes away. So when your name is in that book of life because you've held on to your faith, what does he say? Nobody takes that away. Nobody takes that away. And his only warning, the only catch in any of it, was this. When you wrestle with the pigs, what happens? You're just as muddy and stinky as a pig. He says, I'm warning you. Don't get caught up in the complacency of just doing what the world does around you. Because while it may seem all well and good, while it might seem like a nice way to pass the time, wrestling with pigs just gets you dirty. And the ones that I'm bringing home are those who kept their nose clean and walk with me. Those who rejected the muck and the mire and the immorality of the world around them and held tight to what I called you to be. Be holy as I am holy. This is what he says. And it's an, it's an incredible letter, even though it's just a, a few things, because let's be honest, I mean, don't, we, don't we all at some point fit right into the middle of that church? We all get stuck in our ruts. We all get complacent. We all accept things we know we shouldn't accept. We've all done things we know we shouldn't have done. We've all made this mistake. Oh, it doesn't really matter. There's grace. Don't worry about it. Besides, everybody knows we're good people. We've got a great reputation. A reputation of being alive. Atrophy kills. Sin kills. The mud kills. And Jesus says, listen, as long as you're sitting there hugging that pig and staying in the mud, I can't do much with you. You've got to get out of the mud. You've got to let go of the pig. You've got to come walk with me. And he promises to all who would, I'll clean you. You can look like this coming in, 
but you will walk with me, your robes, white because of the grace that I will show you. White because of the blood I've shed for you. Clean because I will restore you. But I'm not going to do it against your will. You've got to come and walk with me. He makes this call to every single one of us every single day. And He makes these promises to every single one of us every single day. You can walk with me. You can know what it's like to talk with me. You can know what it's like to hear your name announced in heaven and the words come into your master's happiness, faithful and good servant. But you can only do it when you've come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus this morning. That's why we're here. It's one of the reasons. Because we want to share with people this grace. We're going to share grace through the truth, right? And Jesus told us the truth. Not everything's all right, but everything can be repented of. Not everything's all right, but everything can be forgiven. But you've got to come. It's your day to come. We invite you to as we stand and as we sing.